Hello and welcome to this, the very first We Are Railfans podcast. We Are Railfans aims to provide links, resources and more for every railfan around the world to help you get to grips with your train fandom and find those nuggets of information around the internet that you're going to find most fascinating. I'm Sam and today I'm being joined by Ben Ando who is a writer and broadcaster who's worked for the likes of ITN, Channel 5 and the BBC. He's also a published author and has his own podcast. Ben, welcome to the show. How did you get started as a rail enthusiast? When did it first begin for you? Well, hi there, and thanks for having me. That's a really difficult question to answer. I think it started when I was a really, really small child, because I've always been fascinated by railways, always just enjoyed the thrill of going on a a train, uh, a ride. I just think it's easily the most civilised way to travel. But one of my earliest, earliest memories is of looking down on the the yard at the old station. This would be in the early 1970s at Peterborough and just seeing lots of little wagons and little sort of like yellow trucks sort of moving around between them. I didn't really think much of this, but a few years ago, I was speaking to my mother who said that at that time, um, my father was a hotelier and we lived in the manager's flat, which is on the very top floor of the hotel. And she had left me and I must have been only what, two years old, I was a toddler, alone in the, the, the living room while she popped to another room. And when she came back in, I was standing in an open window looking down on this view of the railway lines, uh, the East Coast main line that goes through Peterborough. And she ran over and grabbed me and there was a huge kerfuffle. I'm, I think somehow that possibly the emotion of it imprinted on me in some ways. And I, I just love trains ever since. Is there a particularly memorable journey from a, a young age that you recall or a particular train that you actually remember experiencing? Well, there are a few. I mean, at school, I was in a sort of a train spotting club, if you like, or a rail enthusiast club, and we used to go on little trips. And that was fantastic because back in the 1980s, you could visit depots and you could see all these locomotives up close and school visits were encouraged. So it's a great way of uh, bringing uh, young people in into the the interest and into the industry as well because I'm sure lots of people from that went on to become engineers but I was incredibly lucky because I'm half Italian and my family a large part of them of course live in Sicily and occasionally on summers we would go down by train from London Victoria we'd pick up the boat train uh, travel all the way down to Dover get a ferry and then the other side pick up a, a French train that would take us as far as as Lyon perhaps where we change onto another train that would take us to the Alps and then again you'd go through the Alps and then in northern Italy you'd change onto another train that would take you all the way down and the fantastic thing to me certainly at that time and I think they still do it was that the trains that go to Sicily uh, actually go onto the ferry at the Straits of Messina. The coaches are shunted around and put onto the ferry, and then that crosses, and then the same coaches at the other end go off the ferry and take you to your final destination, which in my case was Taumina. And those long journeys across Europe by rail were just so thrilling, so exciting. I was just grabbed completely. So is this something that you now continue to explore? Are going on fantastic journeys part of your, I don't know, annual bucket list, I would guess? There are a few train journeys I would love to do that I've never had the opportunity to do. And there are two main ones. One is the Rocky Mountaineer in Canada. I have friends who have done it and they say it is just spectacular. Um, And the other one I'd really like to do is the Trans-Siberian Express, because I just think for anybody who sort of grew up in the Cold War era, as I did, the idea of taking a train 
from sort of the Danube across Russia is just so thrilling and exciting. And I'm sure it will be quite an experience as well. Um, I have no idea what the accommodation would be like. I'm not entirely sure it'd be especially luxurious, but I think it would be fascinating. And afterwards, you get to say that you've done it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of bragging rights to that one. Absolutely. So for many Royal fans, they have a, an affinity to a particular era of trains and the associated uh, emotion that comes with it. I mean, do you lean in a particular direction or are you a lover of absolutely everything without any favourites? I suppose my my primary interest is is present day. I'm really interested in the present day railway. I'm interested in how it's evolving, how it's adapting, and how it's so relevant in the modern world. And in fact, given how environmentally friendly it is compared to more personal transport, for example, motor vehicles, how it's enjoying a resurgence of relevance, if, if that's a phrase. But I think for me personally, you know, interest in the present day, in the current, but also given that I sort of grew up in the 1970s, I have no recollection of steam trains. So I know that steam engines are something that fascinate huge numbers of people. And I can go to a preserved railways and I can see how beautiful steam locomotives are and how they have a sort of almost like they they feel like living things. They're not as dull as boring old sort of electric boxes. But personally, for me, it's it's all about the latest thing. So I'm, I really like seeing the Hitachi Azumas that run up and down the East Coast Main Line, which is near to where I live. I really love Pendolinos, which is why the little company I formed actually started out by making a model of a Pendolino. Love all those high speed, all the Shinkansen trains in Japan. I think they're fantastic. And of course, the other ones that I, I absolutely love are the French TGV trains, because of course, you know, they were perhaps the template for, for what is now the sort of the must-have for any modern democracy seems to be a high-speed rail network. So uh, you're clearly a, a technological enthusiast, and you, you said there that, uh, that trains are becoming increasingly important and environmental concern. Why do you say that? Why, why are trains now becoming a, uh, a more prevalent tool in the, in the fight against uh, climate change? Well, I think it's a combination of the efficiency of rail travel and also how rail technology itself is is improving to create a smaller carbon footprint for every journey or every consignment of freight that's shipped. Certainly, we have the network there. And anybody who travels by rail will know that the wonderful thing about traveling by rail is that you travel from a city centre or a town centre or even a village halt you might have to change trains, admittedly, but when you're delivered to your destination, it's usually right into the heart of that community. And one of the great joys of traveling by rail is that bizarre sense that when you're arriving in any capital city, whether it's London or Edinburgh or whether it's Paris or Berlin, you, you see the city warts and all because you kind of... People didn't build the best parts of their city to face the railway often. Often the railway sort of almost comes in, at, dare I say, at the backside of the city. But you get a real sense of what the city is really about, and you get right into the heart of it. There's no queuing in traffic jams. And of course, if you're trying to drive anywhere, the chances are, especially if it's in the UK where the roads are more and more congested, a lot of your time is going to be not traveling at the optimum speed. So you're going to be wasting fuel, sitting there burning petrol while you, you barely move. On top of that, increasingly, while yes, rail locomotives, the majority of them are diesel, which is not particularly environmentally friendly, a, a diesel locomotive pulling a, a train of, say, intermodal container flats, and that's the, the, the majority of rail traffic now is intermodal container flats carrying sea containers for all our imported goodies from, from the Far East. 
you can have one diesel locomotive will be able to pull about, I don't know, 60 or 70 individual containers. And that's taking 60 or 70 lorries off the road because most lorries can only carry one. So it's far more efficient. And finally, rail technology itself is improving so that, for example, my little company is going to be producing a model of a new locomotive that hasn't been built yet called a Class 93. And that's been developed by Stadler and the Rail Operations Group. And the point about that locomotive is it's tri-mode. That is, it's got a small diesel engine. It also can take power from the overhead electrics. And it's got an efficient battery. And that battery can be charged either by the diesel engine or by the overhead. The idea being that that locomotive can pull high-speed intermodal trains. It can pull anything you want it to pull. And when there's overhead electrics available, it'll use those. If it needs to use the diesel engine, it can do. But even when there is no overhead power, often that diesel engine can just be used to top up the battery. So it's primarily operating on battery. And that modal shift in terms of generating power or finding power through electricity rather than through fossil fuels is absolutely the heart of where I think traction on the railway will be going. This is the We Are Rail Fans podcast. I'm Sam in conversation with Ben Ando. <laughs> so we can't talk about the future of rail, particularly in the UK, without referencing HS2. Now, you're among friends here, rail enthusiasts abound, but there is still contention with regard to, is it the right route? Rebuilding the, the northern network to be more effective has been suggested to be a, a far better use of the funds involved. Have you got an opinion one way or the other? Yeah, I have. And I totally support HS2. I mean, first of all, in terms of history, if we look at when the original rail network was being built, they were massive, massive civil engineering products. The Victorians were hugely proud and invested in the infrastructure of the nation. They saw it as a duty to create a Britain that was the best Britain could be. They wanted their capital, London, to be the world's finest capital. They wanted everything they did to be the best it could possibly be. And I feel that in more recent generations, we've kind of lost sight of that. And I think that HS2 is us saying, right, let's have the best railway network we can possibly have. Let's let's do it how the Victorians would have done it. And I don't think the Victorians would have messed around. I think they'd have done it the best possible way it could be. If you think about Eisenbart Kingdom Brunel, when he built the Great Western Railway from Paddington to Bristol, uh, it was known as Brunel's billiard table because it was absolutely flat. And there was no messing around. When they needed to go through a hill, they went through a hill. Box Hill was one of the longest tunnels in the world in its day. The bridge across the Tamar is a, still a spectacular feat of engineering. If there was a problem, they would solve it and they would do it with pride and they would do it with ingenuity. And I think those are the kinds of spirits that HS2 encapsulates. In terms of whether it's the best route or not, the thing is you have to start somewhere and it makes absolute sense to start from London out to Birmingham and then up further north. And the great thing about HS2 is not particularly it'll, it'll save a businessman half an hour on his journey from London to Birmingham or an hour on his journey from London to Manchester or whatever the ac- exact figures are, I don't know. It's it'll, it'll massively clear capacity on the existing network so we can do more to take lorries off the roads. And what I don't understand with all the environmental campaign who are against HS2 is, don't they see that if you build HS2, a lot of it will be in tunnels, so it won't be a huge blot on the landscape like a new six-lane motorway would be. And 
it'll create so much extra capacity on the existing network. We can run far more freight trains during the day. And that, in turn, if it's managed effectively, will take lots and lots of lorries off the roads. Now, the difficulty with all that is, and the reason that lorries are still by far the biggest uh, mover of freight domestically in the UK, is that firstly, lorries can provide a door-to-door service, which rail cannot. And also, the road transport lobby is incredibly powerful and effective. And I, I, I respect them for that, and I understand that. But once you reach a point where you can operate the rail freight system in the way perhaps that the Germans do, where they still have a system of smaller freight drop-offs and what you might call wagon load traffic, as opposed to long block trains all carrying the same thing, then we can definitely get to a system where you can make rail freight economical and effective and take lorries off the roads, which I think is something that the vast majority of the population would want to do. So you grew up in the 70s, I grew up in the 80s, and even when I was a young man, being known as a train spotter was was not exactly uh, flattering. Why do you think that is? It's a really difficult one, and I, I know exactly what you mean. And certainly when I used to work you know, at ITN at the BBC, I definitely kept my rail enthusiast light hidden under a bushel. I wasn't somebody who would stand there and say, yes, I'm a total train nerd, because it's kind of embarrassing and you kind of get mocked for it. And I think that things are changing. First of all, there is a sense now that the railways are a success story. I mean, in the old days of British Rail in the 70s and 80s, while the railways were still vitally important to the nation. There was a sense they were run down because they were funded by the government and had to go cap in hand to the government all the time for money. When that was turned down, projects would die. For example, the advanced passenger train, the APT, the early precursor of today's tilting trains, should have been in service in, what, 1982-83. And in the end, the project was cancelled and only three were ever built and they kind of rotting away in sidings, which is a terrible tragedy. Beyond that, I think the privatisation of the railways, which is in itself a controversial topic, no one can doubt that it has seen a massive boom in passenger numbers. In fact, passenger numbers until, well, pre-COVID anyway, passenger numbers were higher than they'd been at any time since the 1920s. So that's clearly a success. People are wanting to use the trains. They're wanting to use railways. They get them where they want to go in the way they want to be delivered. Also, there's been a massive investment in new rolling stock. If you look at photographs of trains from the 1970s or 80s, the locomotives were often more brown than blue. The coaches were tatty. Everything felt old and a little bit decrepit. In fact, you know, most rolling stock in use in the 1980s had been built in the 1950s or 60s. It was all quite old stuff. Nowadays, I mean, if I take a train to London from where I live in Cambridgeshire, the chances are the, the unit I'll be travelling on is no more than two or three years old. Everything is is new Trains are kept cleaner than they used to be. In fact, some of the, the private freight companies, GBRF, DB Cargo, Freightliner, they have a policy, because I have friends who work for those companies, of washing their locomotives regularly because they want them to look clean and shiny. And, and most freight trains now, they're brightly colored. They look clean. They don't look filthy like the old BR trains used to look. And all that kind of engenders a sense that this is something that's worth looking after. It's worth being proud of. And Increasingly, if you watch TV, there are so many programs now reflecting 
that the rail network is important. It's something we can be proud of. It's something we should invest in. All the programs, Paddington 24-7, or I'm watching a fantastic show at the moment. I think it's on Channel 4 about Scotland's scenics railways. And a lot of that is focusing on the, the network rail engineers and what they do to keep the line safe in all sorts of ingenious ways. They've got their own helicopter. I mean, there's a lot of really exciting and interesting work going on in the railways. And I think for that reason, it's not as embarrassing now to say you're into it because it's seen as a more successful and glamorous thing. I mean, if you're into jet fighters, there's nothing uncool about saying, yeah, I'm really into jet fighters because jet fighters have always been a really racy, exciting thing. And now trains have caught up and I don't see there being quite the stigma there used to be. And certainly, you know, there's no reason at all you should be embarrassed about saying you're a rail enthusiast. Um, after all, people aren't embarrassed about saying, oh, I like to go and watch 22 guys kicking a piece of leather about. So there's no reason at all that people should be embarrassed. And I think that there's, there's one other aspect to this, which is that the internet has become a great leveler. And because people with particular interests can find other people with those interests and be more open about it. There are now rail enthusiast forums. There are other ways that rail enthusiasts can connect. There's there's podcasts like this one where we can talk quite openly and happily about what we like. If you're not interested in it, that's fine. You don't need to watch. You don't need to tune in. But if you are interested, you can hear it talked about with reverence, with respect and with insight, hopefully, and, and just enjoy the shared interest in, in, in railways. It became a shorthand for someone with an unusual interest that was maybe a little bit nerdy, a little bit geeky in the UK, whereas it's perfectly acceptable to be, always has been acceptable to be a rail fan uh, in the US. I put that down to the, the US having had that stronger breadth of kind of quirky, unusual interests, and that we're catching up now thanks to the, uh, the rise of the geek you know, those who are into comic books or uh, or Star Wars or Games Workshop or whatever it may be, means that it's now perfectly acceptable to have a, what would historically be a non-traditional hobby. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. And I think, you know, as someone who's visited America many times, one of the, you know, <laughs> the, they, it said, you know, that the only problem with America is it's full of Americans. And I think that's a little bit unfair. I mean, there are, there are lots of things about Americans that I think we find odd. But there are lots of things that I think we can learn from them. And one of the things that I would say Americans have that is wonderful is a complete, a sort of an openness. They don't have that slightly snide, mickey-taking side to them that the Brits have. Now, what we tend to see that as us being superior. So we'll say, well, the Americans don't get sarcasm. They don't get that side of our humor. And perhaps they don't because to them, it just seems a bit unkind. And whereas we would, you know, take the mickey out of someone the americans tend not to be like that they just tend to take them at face value and and that can be a strength and certainly when it comes to rail fanning and things like take a train to work day which is really popular in the united states for model railroad enthusiasts they'll take models in to show their colleagues and and, and engender further interest in, in the hobby in that way it's something that definitely we can learn from the americans that you don't always need to sneer and mock people who are just slightly different to you now rail fanning takes on a wide variety of different aspects whether it's photography or spotting or riding on uh, fantastic journeys or or being an enthusiast towards different station and rolling stock and and all of the architecture that goes alongside rail but uh, these days you're you're becoming well known for revolution the engage specialists is model rail your 
your passion these days or is that just part of of your overall fandom oh no i mean I'm a huge railway modelling enthusiast. I had a train set when I was a kid and loved it, kind of gave it up when I reached adulthood. But then in my late 30s, I sort of rediscovered it as just a really, really good way to spend some time. It's incredibly relaxing. There are a lot, I mean, one of the things that got me back into it in a way was um, Rod Stewart, because I don't know, you'll probably know, Rod Stewart has got this massive, massive model railway in his house in LA depicting uh, New York Station in I think the 1940s and 50s and it's just so full of character so full of detail so intricate and I just thought wow that's just incredible and I love trains but I really what I love about model railway hobby is the way that I can do buildings I can create bridges try and model trees you know what sort of tree is it what color bark would it have what kind of leaves would it have all that kind of stuff and because I particularly like doing scenery I like doing cliffs I like doing depicting water and all that kind of you know reality i like creating my own little world maybe i'm something of a megalomaniac i don't know but because of that i gravitated towards engage now for those who don't know most model trains are hornby sized and that is double o gauge that's a scale of 176 and a locomotive is about that long Engage ones are half the size. The Engage locomotive is that sort of size. For those of you listening, Ben is indicating the lengths of the different <laughs> trains there using his fingers, which in an audio <laughs> format perhaps doesn't work quite so well. Anyway, I should point out that uh, over the weekend of April 10th and 11th is the uh, We Are Rail Fans Fan Fest. Uh, where we're going to be talking about all things rail, and Ben is taking part in that to talk specifically about model rail. So here we are, two blokes with plenty of grey going on in our facial hair, uh, talking about trains. How is train fandom, rail fandom, how is it evolving over time? Is it is it literally just the uh, the domain of the blokes with grey going on in their facial hair? It certainly used to be. It used to be this. The, the idea of a typical sort of rail enthusiast was either someone with greasy hair and an anorak or an old guy in tweed and plus fours. That is really changing. And one thing that I've noticed, and this is coming, I think, from the industry itself, is that it's becoming far more something that is interesting to women as well as men. At model train exhibitions that I attend, you see lots of women walking around. You see women modelers now. And there's a show on Channel 5, which featured a, a female uh, modeler and a team of women as well taking part. I know I follow on Twitter uh, quite a few train drivers, and many of them are women. And they're they're really proud of what they do. They're really interested in it. You know, they're not just doing a job for them. They really care passionately about the railways and the rail industry. So I certainly think that whereas, yes, the, the majority of rail enthusiasts probably still are men, it's not quite as skewed as much to one gender as it used to be. And I suspect this comes back to your point about sort of, you know, geekiness becoming more fashionable and geekiness being more allowed is that, that, you know, there are, there are women geeks and men geeks and, we're all now perhaps coming out of the cupboard and being more open about what we do. And the other thing, of course, is that the rail industry itself is trying really hard to be more inclusive. And that does mean they are trying to recruit more female engineers, uh, more female signal operators, more female drivers. And so the industry itself is changing. And it's inevitable that change is also seeping its way through to the enthusiast area as well. So, I mean, based on what we've spoken about today, it's clear that you're a, you're a modernist, if not a futurist, when it comes to <laughs> uh, to rail. Is that likely to 
reflect on rail fanning in the future? Do you think that uh, rail fans have a bright future? I think so, yeah. I mean, nobody is particularly celebrating COVID. It's something that's, um, you know, been difficult for everybody. But one thing we have noticed is there's people sort of, you know, are spending more time at home, maybe not down the pub. They are looking at other areas of interest, other hobbies, and certainly in the model railway sector, we've seen um, sales booming as people start maybe building little layouts at home, doing things. In terms of the wider rail interest, I think it's very much pegged to success and respect for the rail network and the rail industry as a whole. I think that the rail industry needs to ensure it enjoys a good recovery from the effects of COVID. Now, there are, I think, going to be some kind of paradigm changes around how people use the rail network. Um, Some have said, for example, you know, picking up on what we talked about earlier on HS2, why have HS2 if businesses aren't going to be going to meet each other so much? I'm not convinced about that. First of all, all of HS2's usage projections are based on the fact that the majority of passengers will be leisure passengers, not business passengers, because people going on holiday want to travel quicker as well. Also, I think that what we have learned is that while Zoom and its equivalents can be very useful, and you know we can talk to each other today via that sort of system, there is some areas in which you do need to sit down face to face and go through things. And I, I suspect that offices may be a thing of the past, but I think people traveling around is going to be something that continues to happen because the bottom line is we like to travel. We like to go to places. We don't want to just sit in our own houses in front of a computer screen all the time. And, you know, if you travel, it broadens your horizons. It broadens your perspectives. I'm sure, and there's no way you could prove this at all, but I'm sure that if two people have a Zoom meeting to discuss some kind of new project, they'll come up with some good ideas. I'm sure they both travel to meet each other they will come up with better ideas because their horizons will have been broadened. They'll have had more chance just to think away from the topic, but reflecting back in. So you can be more inspired in that way. And I think the future is very bright for the rail industry and also for rail enthusiasm. So any hobby or fandom is largely fueled by the the introduction of young people joining that, that fandom. What's in it? For a, for a young fan, and, and maybe they're, they're just getting the bug now, has the, uh, the, the digital revolution really helped make rail fanning easier, better? Yes. There, there are all sorts of ways that it's a lot easier than it used to be. First of all, you know, we've all got microcomputers in our hands now and our phones. And if you are a rail enthusiast and you want to go and watch trains, there are various apps and there are various um, websites where you can go on, you can find a complete list of everything that's running. So you can know when certain trains are running. So if you particularly wanted to go and see, for example, a steam hauled special, if you wanted to go and see a steam engine, or you particularly wanted to go and see a, a certain freight train, then you can find out when it's running and you can make a point of being close to the line at that time. So there's a lot less wasted time. So you could argue it's more efficient. You can be more targeted. On top of that, you can talk to people online. There are lots of forums where you can find out information. So one of the great things about you know being a rail enthusiast is that you learn a lot about patterns of transport. You learn a lot about the kind of vehicles used, the kind of locomotives, why this particular piece of rolling stock was used on that particular route. And all of that kind of stuff you can find out a lot more about, a lot more easily um, on the various online forums where there's an enormous reservoir of knowledge. I mean, I'm a member of a couple of them and the great, I mean, I'm not a railway person at all. My, you know, I have a huge or have a huge amount of ignorance. I've learned a lot through talking to people on, on rail forums who, who do work in the industry and who do know exactly what's going on. So 
there there are all sorts of ways that you can you can cultivate your interest and of course yeah the other thing is when i was you know a kid we used to go on the depot visits that i talked about earlier and you take some photographs then you had to send those photographs off to be developed and half the time they were too dark because you hadn't set the camera up right nowadays you've got a phone you can take all sorts of photos you can log them you can put them on youtube you can put them on your facebook page you can share them with like-minded friends the whole network is so better connected that it becomes much more rewarding if you are into just sharing that information with with other like-minded people as we come towards the end of our time uh is there one train or one locomotive that you'd wished you'd seen in action or if the opportunity presents itself will go out of your way to go pursue cool wow that's a that's a big question there are a few um certainly in terms of present day i'm Really, really keen to see an Avanti Pendolino. I haven't actually seen an Avanti Pendolino yet because they kind of came introduced at the start of 2020. And of course, COVID hit. So we haven't been able to travel as much as we'd like. And I don't live near the West Coast. And we're going to be producing a model of one of those. So I'd like to go and see the real thing. In terms of historic trains, I, I, I think I would love, if I could go back in time, I'd love to go back and see some of the old, really, really ugly, fugly class 29 bobo diesel electrics in use in scotland so back in the 1960s um, north british railway locomotive company built a, a class of locomotives that were incredibly unsuccessful they were among the most unreliable poor performing locomotives ever built for the british railways in fact probably ever built for any railway system anywhere and they they enjoyed a lifespan of about eight years i think introduced in the early 60s and they were all taken out of use by 68 69 and cut up and scrapped by 1970-71. I'd quite like to go back and see those because they they were they kind of were ugly but they had a certain character and charm and of course watching one of those you know on some of the most beautiful railways in the world on the sort of you know the Highland line or the lines around sort of you know the west coast of Scotland would be an absolutely magical experience. You, you say magical I I would argue that's maybe a little perverse. <laughs> quite possibly. I never said I was normal. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, thanks very much for talking to us today. And obviously, we're going to hear a little bit more from you on the subject of model rail at Rail Fan Fest. Been a pleasure. And thanks very much indeed for having me. Absolute delight. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Can't be a chance to talk about something you're absolutely passionately interested in. Ben will be back with us for the Rail Fan Fest, which is taking place on April the 10th and 11th. It is a virtual conference for fans of rail from around the world. And there is sure to be something there to keep you interested. You'll be able to enjoy features from the likes of the London Transport Museum. We're being joined by Antrac. We've got the designer and author of Logomotive, Ian Logan, who will be talking to us about his experiences. Hornby will be along to talk more in-depth about model rail and much, much more. To find out more information about the FanFest, you can visit railfanfest.com for details. And if you've liked what you've heard on this podcast, please do let us know. You can get in touch via the wearerailfans.com website. That's where you can send your questions and comments. And who knows, we might be reading out your message on the next episode. And also, while you're about it, please do hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode as soon as it has been recorded. And if you're in a generous mood, how about leaving us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts? This has been a Listen production. Thanks for being with us for this very first We Are Rail Fans podcast. And if you wouldn't mind, please ensure you have all your belongings with you before you leave the show. We'll catch you next time. 
Thanks for listening.